Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. Chapter 9, 22 to 25. Uh, these are Jesus' words. And Jesus said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then Jesus said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? The second reading will be from Philippians 1, 27 to 2, verse 5. The Philippians 1, from 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whenever, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Hear the word of the Lord. Uh, One of the ways God exponentially grew my faith was being involved in Scripture Union uh, Theos at Tidal River down at Wilson's Prom. Uh, Each week, each year in the first two weeks of January, a team of teenagers and 20 and 30-somethings from different churches would go down to build relationships with campers with the prayerful intention of sharing the good news of Jesus. Uh, One thing that was particularly unique about our setup was that we would pitch 12 or 13 big white marquees, the Greek tent type. And uh, it was a huge effort, usually taking one to two days. Um, And in case you haven't made it to the prom, the weather is never, ever something you can predict. You can get temperatures past 40 degrees, you can get rain that goes nonstop, and you can get wind that goes up to 100 clicks. So the only way we could set all this up in such varied conditions was if if everyone worked together as a team. Now, most of the time in short-term mission trips, uh, we normally gauge success by looking at the program times or considering the new relationships or conversations that we had. But on one occasion, I remember our director sharing with us this conversation that he'd had with a camper 
who said that he was really impacted by the way that we had set up. He had sat on his caravan and just watched us set up for two days. (laughs) Our striving together was a sign that as Christians, there was something different about us. I think what that campus saw that year was what we read about today, we read about today in today's passage, that striving together is a sign of our salvation. But I think the idea of striving together is something we want to avoid. Because if our striving entails challenging, contending, and struggling with one another, most of us would rather take the easier path, where our feelings don't get hurt, where we get the least annoyed, and where we can get our own way, because our way is the best. We don't want to strive together as Christians because it means conflict. Now, I know some of us are better at avoiding conflict and some of us are better at creating conflict. But I want you to know that striving together means that we should expect to have conflict. Verse 27, Paul says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. But have you realised that to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, that you will need to accept that you will not be perfect or right in every situation? As humans, we will make mistakes. We will have errors in judgment. We won't always have the whole picture. And even when we try our best, we will mess up and fall short. God's standard is high. Indeed, we cannot attain it. But he calls us to live as citizens of heaven, knowing that we won't be perfect. New Testament scholar Frank Thielman shows that the word for conduct yourselves, polytueste, is notable given that Philippi was a Roman colony with Roman character lived in by Roman citizens. The Philippians would have known the value of Roman citizenship. So given this word is in its imperative form, it implies a sense of civic duty that citizens would have for their city. Living as citizens of heaven is something Paul picks up again in Philippians 3.20 when he reminds the people to set their minds on their saviour from heaven. Because of God's high calling to heavenly citizenship and because of God's grace in welcoming sinners like you and me, we should expect to have conflict. We are a mixed bag of people. We are sinners and saints wanting to be like Jesus and yet miserably failing, needing to rest in God's arms of grace. In striving together, we should expect to have conflict because striving together is a sign of our salvation. In verse 27, it goes on, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, that means working through conflict. The challenge with conflict is that when we get hurt by it, we either tend to hurt others and create more conflict, 
or avoid the issue and create more conflict. The bottom line is that if we don't work through conflict, we create more conflict. I think one of the reasons some of us like avoiding conflict is because we like avoiding unresolved conflict. I think this is natural. Unresolved conflict is like milk sitting in your fridge that is past its use-by date. It might taste okay one day past, but anything beyond that is going to leave you feeling sick. You don't go to the effort of dealing with it. Someone in your household is going to get up for breakfast and they're going to be left with a sour taste in their mouth. One of, one of the reasons that some of us like creating conflict is because we see a need for change. This, again, is natural. It's one thing. Uh, however, conflict creators often don't care about how their ideas for change will impact people. It's one thing to suggest a change and then make a decision on it and walk with people as that change affects them. But it's another thing altogether to drop bombshells and then to leave people to work it out for themselves. Both the conflict avoiders and the conflict creators, we do not resolve conflict because we feel justified in our response to hurt others and because we are too proud to admit our own faults. And because of our high expectations of others, forgiveness is hard. When we pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We find it easy to forgive when it's not a big deal. But when it is, I know that I need God's strength to help me actively forgive people, especially those who have hurt me. Now, partially, I want to say that for those who have been the recipients of abusive conflict, that the abused should not seek to resolve the conflict directly with their abuser. These people can and should seek help, but with others who will keep them safe. The conflict that I'm talking about is a conflict that happens when people strive and struggle with one another, when certain personalities rub up against each other, and when people's words and actions result in misunderstanding, arguments and hurt. Still, I want to show you that conflict is a really good thing when it's resolved. This is because resolved conflict promotes the gospel. In verse 27 again, the second half, when we stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed but that you will be saved, and that by God. Striving together to resolve our conflict is a sign of our salvation because it reminds us and others how Jesus has resolved our conflict. The conflict that we brought upon ourselves and each other and God through our sin. By confessing to God in repentance 
and dealing with the consequences of our sins, even our unintentional ones, by saying sorry to others and then working with and walking alongside them and taking actions to not hurt them in the same way again, we are promoting the salvation we have through Jesus because we are humbly admitting that we are not perfect, but that we know a God who is, a God who forgives us and cleanses us and changes us. Driving together is a sign of our salvation. Now, one of the main ways that we strive together in ministry is in ministry teams. This is not going to be a surprise to you. In our churches and ministries, we have teams for children's and youth ministry. Graham says, yay. Small groups, music ministry, prayer ministry, evangelism, parish council, eldership, wardens, administration, faculty, staff, you name it, and we have it. I know many of you will currently be in one or more of these. One of the challenges of teams, however, is that there is usually some type of leadership hierarchy or structure where there is an assigned leader whose job it is, in part, to have the final say. Uh, This power dynamic between leaders and members means that there will not always be agreement on decisions. Have you ever strongly disagreed with a decision your leader has made? Have you ever felt like your team has defied a decision you made? If you've answered yes to either of these questions, then you'll know the conflict that it creates. Whether you're a leader or a member, you will next start doubting their competency and possibly even their character. Let me remind you that if such conflict is not resolved, it will continue to bring more conflict. Unresolved conflict stews in a team and it can develop into bitterness, which creates a toxic culture. A striving together that brings conflict resolution demands a humility that values others above ourselves, a humility that considers the interests of others. So how do you treat the leader of your team? Do you honour them behind their back as well as to their face? Do you submit to your leader's decisions even when they see things differently to you? Or do you gossip about them? Do you seek to undermine them? Do you assume the worst? Do you seek revenge, even in little ways? How do you treat the members of your team? Do you honour them behind their back as well as to their face? 
Do you walk alongside your team in a decision of yours that they find hard? Or do you gossip about them? Do you seek to use your power sinfully? Do you assume the worst? Do you seek revenge, even in little ways? Ministry teams eventually implode when conflict goes unresolved. The way leaders and team members strive together to resolve conflict is a sign of our salvation because it reminds us of the grace and forgiveness of Jesus. We show grace to others We treat others as Jesus has treated us and how knowing him has changed us. Striving together is a sign of salvation, not only to Christians, but to outsiders as well. In verse 28, we are told not to be frightened in any way by those who oppose us. Our striving together as one is a sign to them that they will be destroyed. Those scholars dispute exactly what this means. I think it points to the attractiveness of Christian unity. Christians have encouragement from being united with Christ. We have comfort from his love. We have common sharing in the spirit. We have tenderness and compassion. We can have joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. The fact that because of Jesus, we can strive together as one shows that all other ways of living are futile. Our salvation only makes sense if we're being saved from something. And that something is our destruction. And it is a destruction that all without Christ are heading to. Striving together is a sign of our salvation. In verse 29, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but to suffer for him. Though we don't want to strive together because of conflict, believing in Christ means that we will suffer for him. Believing in Christ means we will suffer from conflict without and from conflict within. Believing in Christ will mean suffering hurt from our brothers and sisters and will at times mean struggling through unresolved conflict. So you may serve your leaders or team members as if they were Christ, there is no guarantee that they will do the same for you. Though you may love the unbelieving community around you, there is no guarantee that they will love you for it. We don't want to have to suffer. But as both Paul and Jesus have said, 
Struggle is a part of our faith. There is a cost of following Jesus. As Jesus tells us, to be his disciple, we must deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow him. Though there is no promise of resolving conflict when we strive together, I exhort you, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone by remembering that it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but to suffer for him. I hope today's sermon has exhorted you and that you will remember that striving together is a sign of our salvation. But I'm aware that the questions I have posed may have brought to mind past memories or current experiences where you have messed up by avoiding unresolved conflict or by creating it. Further, you may be enduring a particular time of difficulty in your ministry team where the particular combination of people is bringing up a whole range of issues and struggles for you. Our God is sovereign and therefore knows both our desire to do right and our failures. And he promises to hear our prayers for mercy when we ask in faith. Now we're going to spend a moment in reflection before I lead us in prayer. And when I finish each petition, you may join me by saying, Lord, hear and have mercy. Heavenly Father, we lift up to you all who confess the name of Christ. Fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, hear and have mercy. We pray for one another. May we always strive together as one for the faith of the gospel being united in service and love, in facing conflict, deepen our humility and teach us to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Lord, hear and have mercy. We pray for our ministry teams. May, they, may the way they strive together be a witness of our salvation. By your Holy Spirit, guide every leader and team member to value others above themselves, not looking to their own interests, but to the interests of the others. Lord, hear and have mercy. We pray to be forgiven of the times we have avoided or created conflict. We are sorry for the times we have felt justified in our response to hurt others. Set us free from all pride and arrogance and help us to forgive as you have forgiven us. Lord, hear and have mercy. Father, Son, Spirit, as you are one, help us, your church, to be one. Give us grace in resolving conflict and comfort as we follow you. Help us to trust that in all our lives you will hold us fast. Lord, hear and have mercy.